Hi, this is Julian Allen, Deputy Editor for Pediatrics of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast on uh, the relationship between cystic fibrosis, pulmonary problems, and vitamin D. By way of background, it's well known that vitamin D is one of the problem vitamins in cystic fibrosis since it's fat-soluble, and there's been a lot of studies on the effects of bone health in patients with cystic fibrosis, but not so much on pulmonary problems. And recently, there's been a resurgence of interest in the relationship between vitamin D and lung problems, specifically in asthma. Vitamin D is known to have anti-inflammatory and immune modulatory properties. There's some intriguing studies looking at maternal levels of vitamin D and how it may have higher vitamin D levels may have a protective effect on wheezing in early childhood. And recently there was a follow-up of the CAMP study that showed that children who had higher vitamin D levels had higher levels of lung function and actually better bronchodilator responsiveness. So I think these studies uh, in asthma form an intriguing backdrop to uh, the two studies that we're going to be discussing today that are appearing in this month's Annals of the American Thoracic Society. Uh, with me, I have two guests, Dr. Trigoni Simino from Connecticut Children's Hospital, and we're going to be discussing her article, Vitamin D Status in Children with Cystic Fibrosis, Associations with Inflammation and Bacterial Colonization. She performed this study in collaboration with uh, workers from Boston Children's Hospital and also Hasbro Children's Hospital. And the second article we're going to be discussing, the lead author is Laura McCauley from the Marshfield Clinic, and she performed this study in collaboration with colleagues from the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. Her study is entitled, Vitamin D Deficiency is Associated with Pulmonary Exacerbations in Children with Cystic Fibrosis. So, Dr. Simino and Dr. McCauley, I'd like to welcome you both to this podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. So let's start with uh, Dr. McCauley. I wonder if you could just briefly describe why you undertook your study and, and the major findings that you report. Sure. Most of the reasons, you know, like you mentioned, is uh, we're seeing more information on vitamin D recently, su suggesting that it's more than, you know, affecting just bone health and in particularly the lungs and asthma. And uh, we know in cystic fibrosis that the majority of our patients are pancreatic insufficient and don't absorb vitamin D well, even with supplementation. So my question was, is the lower vitamin D affecting their lung function as well, more so than those who have normal levels of vitamin D? And we wanted to look at other aspects of lung function other than just FEV1 or FVC because it's been looked at but hasn't been conclusive in the literature. So besides those measures, we looked at pulmonary exacerbations and growth of pseudomonas. And what we did a retrospective longitudinal study using the database at the University of Minnesota in children 6 to 18 years of age. And our major finding was we found in the adolescent age group that they had three times higher risk of pulmonary exacerbation if they were vitamin D deficient, which we defined as a vitamin D level less than 20. And then we also found that vitamin D deficiency increased with age. So in the younger children, about 5% of them were deficient and 10% insufficient, whereas in the adolescents, 10% were deficient and 30% were insufficient, um, which seems to go along with other studies that have looked at prevalence as well. And then we did a linear regression model, and in again, in the adolescents, we found that for every 10 microgram increase in vitamin D, there was a 5% increase in FEV1. We didn't find the same thing in the younger kids. So 
most of our findings were in the adolescent age group. Well, thanks for that summary. That's actually very interesting. And you did not see uh, changes in pseudomonas, is that correct? We did not, though. You know, we only looked at kids six and older so that we could look at their lung function. And the problem with that was only 48 of our patients from our study group, or about 37%, were still at risk of acquiring pseudomonas for the first time. So we had small numbers to look at whether or not vitamin D deficiency was related to their first growth of pseudomonas. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for explaining that. So that's an interesting contrast with our next study, which is the study of Dr. Uh, Simino. I wonder if you would describe why you undertook your study and its major findings. Sure. So similar to Dr. McCauley, you know, I had been noticing during my training this high frequency of finding our CF patients being vitamin D deficient and insufficient. And I also was noticing that the ones that were admitted to the hospital recurrently tended to also be deficient and insufficient. And so as the new findings were coming out related to vitamin D and inflammation and vitamin D and asthma, it sort of raised the question, you know, what is the role of vitamin D and inflammation in these patients with CF, given that we know inflammation plays such a critical role in the natural progression of CF? So we undertook this study sort of as an initial step to look at it. And so by retrospectively looking um, back primarily at the younger kids because I was interested to know if in these young kids, you know, before they've necessarily been exposed to pseudomonas or had significant lung function decline, you know, if we could identify some effect of vitamin D insufficiency or deficiency at that stage. It also, I think, is interesting because of the process of newborn screening and that we are now identifying children so much younger. And so it allows us the ability to look at the impact of these things at an early age. And we know that there's this strong relationship between nutritional status and lung function. So this was a retrospective study of kids under 12 years of age with CF. And we included both pancreatic sufficient and insufficient patients in part to be able to look at the vitamin D status of the sufficient patients to see where they stood. And we collected data looking at their vitamin D levels, also lung function for those who were over six, as well as bacterial colonization and nutritional status using weight for length percentile and BMI percentile. And what we found, we had 148 children that we collected data on, and the interesting findings were that the pancreatic sufficient patients were actually even more likely to be vitamin D insufficient or deficient, so with a level less than 30 nanograms per ml, and that was at 50% of the population of the pancreatic sufficient patients. And amongst the pancreatic insufficient patients, 41% were insufficient or deficient. And then we did find this high higher prevalence of pseudomonas aeruginosa infection in the patients who were insufficient or deficient. Is that regardless of whether they were pancreatic sufficient or not? Yes. And then what we didn't find a difference in other inflammatory markers, and so we looked at CRP, which um, had no difference based on your vitamin D status, as well as the other bacteria such as MRSA and MSSA. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for that summary. That's interesting. So these are two studies that point to pulmonary consequences of vitamin D insufficiency or deficiency with slightly different findings. So what do you think the mechanisms are? Do you have any thoughts as to why lack of vitamin D is affecting either bacterial colonization or other clinical symptoms in patients with CF? And this is a question for both of you. I think one mechanism is definitely a protective effect that vitamin D has against particularly pseudomonas, though our study didn't 
find that relationship, but also viral illnesses. There's lots of studies looking at influenza and RSV and its association with vitamin D levels in infants and young children who are deficient in vitamin D have a higher incidence of influenza and RSV infections. There's also antimicrobials, particularly against pseudomonas that is activated by vitamin D. And in the lungs, the interesting thing is the lungs can actually activate vitamin D themselves and then start this cascade with these antimicrobials that are effective against pseudomonas. Yeah, and I think there are some good basic science studies looking at bronchial epithelial cells in vitro, and the presence of vitamin D increases anti-inflammatory cytokines and decreases pro-inflammatory cytokines. And then with that, you get an upregulation of these antimicrobial peptides such as cathelicide, which is important for bacterial killing. Right. So there's both some clinical evidence and some basic science evidence that would lend plausibility to both of your findings. Do you think there's a threshold effect? This is a question also for for both of you. Or a dose-response effect? It seems like the insufficient group is somewhere in the middle between deficient and sufficient. What's your feeling about whether uh, there's a threshold or a dose-response effect? Did you find evidence of either one in, in your studies? You know, we initially thought there was probably a threshold effect especially based on one of the NHANES studies that had come out that showed they divided vitamin D levels into quintiles and those in the lowest quintile vitamin D level had the lowest lung function. But by separating, you know, we had the three categories, insufficient, deficient, and sufficient levels and didn't really see a difference. But what I think is there may be more of a cumulative effect as we saw that exacerbations and lung function were lower in the adolescent groups. That, you know, a prospective study would be helpful to look at these kids over time to see if they're vitamin D deficient long-term, if they have worse lung function as more of a cumulative effect. Rather, it's hard in our study because they flip-flop back and forth between whether they're deficient or sufficient as they're being treated too. Yeah, I agree. I think this is one of the challenging questions that we really don't yet have a good answer to because it's difficult to study. The vitamin D guidelines in terms of, you know, aiming for that greater than 30 level really is based on parathyroid hormone data to suggest sufficiency or insufficiency. And we don't have a great marker for the anti-inflammatory effects of vitamin D. So my hunch is that there is somewhat of a linear relationship. And, you know, there was this study looking at non-CF bronchiectasis and bacterial colonization, and the deficient population is certainly more at risk for bacterial colonization, more so than the insufficient. But where that cutoff lies, of you know, in terms of vitamin D protection, I don't think we know yet. I want to ask you both a couple of questions about confounding variables. So if you could just each identify yourselves when you begin to speak so we know which study you're talking about. So my first question about confounding variables is seasonality. I think it's often difficult to control for the seasonal variation in vitamin D levels. Can you speak to how seasonality was controlled for in your studies? This is Laura McCauley. Our study, we didn't actually control for seasonality. I think there's been confounding evidence where seasonality makes a difference in some studies and in other studies it doesn't. But from our perspective, what we're looking at is if you're vitamin D deficient, how does that affect either your lung function or the number of exacerbations rather than how did you become vitamin D deficient? So we didn't adjust for that in our study. Okay, and Dr. Simino? Yes, so this is Tregany Simino. So our study, we did collect data around when the vitamin D level was obtained, and we compared the seasons, the different levels, you know, drawn during each of the seasons, and didn't find a significant difference. 
which is in contrast to some previous studies that have shown a more significant difference between seasons and when the level is obtained. But because we didn't find a difference, we didn't control for it in our statistical analyses. Fair enough. And then the other confounding variable I wanted to ask you both about were the effects of overall nutrition. And could your findings have been not related to vitamin D, but to overall nutritional status or the relationships between vitamin D level and nutritional status in each of your studies? This is Laura McCauley. And I think, you know, we saw that across the three age groups we looked at, 8, 12, and 16-year-olds, their vitamin A and E levels were all within normal limit, with the exception of the 8-year-old groups who were deficient in vitamin D. All the other groups had BMIs of the 50th percentile or above. So I think knowing that those markers of nutrition were all normal, that vitamin D acts independently. So this is Tregany Simino. So we controlled for nutritional status using BMI or and weight for length percentiles for the population uh, when we did the statistical analyses. Interestingly, contrary to Dr. McCauley, we did find a significant difference in our vitamin E and A levels, which to me suggested that the insufficient and deficient um, population the explanation may be because they weren't taking their ADEC vitamins, and so they were deficient in all three levels, which you know may suggest that uh, medication adherence is a confounder, but we tried to control for the nutritional status with um, BMI and weight for length. Great. So the last two questions that I have, one for each of you, is more on the nature of speculation. So Dr. McCauley, I wonder if you can speculate on why vitamin D deficiency might cause more frequent pulmonary exacerbations without necessarily affecting lung function or colonization with pseudomonas? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it's a tough one to answer, but I think at least with our study, you know, most of our children had normal or, you know, above normal lung function, and so I don't know if we're seeing that they may have more exacerbations with vitamin D deficiency, but since their lungs are at normal lung function, they're able to recover from those exacerbations more easily. And as far as pseudomonas, I still think if we were able to look at younger kids, we might actually see that difference in pseudomonas. Yeah, fair enough. Dr. Sivino, I have another question for you. Any thoughts on why vitamin D deficiency might predispose to pseudomonas colonization, but not necessarily to colonization with either methicillin-sensitive or resistant Staph aureus? Yeah, I think it is difficult to know. And I think, you know, one of the things that I found surprising when we found the pseudomonas outcome is that we didn't see the same thing with MRSA because the same antimicrobial peptides are involved in fighting off MRSA being the catholicide. And so I think that it may be that we just didn't have enough patients in our study colonized with MRSA as we had had, uh, less MRSA than pseudomonas. But the other possibility may relate to the resistance capabilities of the bacteria and that the the way in which MRSA develops resistance may allow it to overcome the catholicidin and other vitamin D related mechanisms. You know, the the basic science literature out there has shown good protection or antimicrobial effects of vitamin D related to pseudomonas, but I haven't seen much literature related to MRSA. Thank you. Well, listen, um, I want to thank both of you a lot for joining me in this podcast. I think these are two really interesting and intriguing studies that I'm sure will be cited a lot in the future on further studies and perhaps trials of vitamin D replacement in patients with cystic fibrosis. So thanks very much for, for joining me. And again, to the audience, this is Julian Allen thanking you for joining us here at the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. Have a good day.